This week, let's talk about Conversations That Convert, a problem-solving approach to business design. My guest is Danny Matthews, and this is episode 262 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This podcast is all about keeping marketing simple and all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a professional speaker and consultant from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the complexity and the BS from your marketing strategy. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Well, as we head into yet another lockdown, at least here in the UK, I'd just like to say thanks, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. Now, I know there are so many things you could listen to, watch or read at the moment, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. We have a brand new theme tune for the show and I'm feeling really positive about the year ahead. Now, before we talk to Danny Matthews, I just wanted to mention how you could support the show. Now, I've put out 262 episodes of the Marketing and Finance podcast, and of course, it's free for anyone who wants to listen. And I've never agreed to a sponsorship deal, although I've been offered some, because I don't want the adverts to ruin your content. But if you enjoy the show, if you appreciate the content, here's a couple of ways you could help. First of all, you could buy my book. It's called Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. How to put together a simple marketing strategy and avoid complexity as your business grows. If you fancy buying a copy, head to rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. And you'll get all the links you need to purchase your copy from Amazon, either a paperback back or a Kindle edition. Secondly, I've set up an account on buymeacoffee.com. You can literally buy me a coffee to show your support for the Marketing and Finance podcast. And I quite like the link because I do mention coffee quite a lot in this show. So if you fancy supporting the show by buying me a coffee, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Roger Edwards. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash Roger Edwards. And of course, if you want to work with me, either as a marketing consultant or a marketing coach, or hire me as a speaker for your next event, please do get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk. So let's talk about conversations that convert with an old friend of mine, Danny Matthews. So let's get straight into that interview with Danny right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Danny Matthews, welcome back to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hello, Roger. It's been a while. It has actually been a while. You were last on the show back in episode 84, and we're currently hovering around episode 272. So I'm guessing it was probably about maybe three, maybe even four years ago. Yeah, yeah, it would have been would have been about four years ago. Yeah, wow. Um, <laughs> what can change in four years is a... Uh... Quite astonishing. Lots can change. Lots can change. And and they have changed a lot for you, haven't they, Danny? And, and in fairness, I've been wanting to get you back on the show for quite a while. And I'll tell you why. Because when we first had a chat, you were just involved in launching into the financial services industry, a really quite interesting and, and really quite innovative 
online mortgage application. I think it was called Morgi. And since since then, you've your, your career's developed. You've you've moved on from that. Um, I see you've you've pivoted. Oh, I hate that word pivot. Why do I keep using it? You've <laughs> you've pivoted into offering design services, helping people with branding and with logos. And you've also got some really interesting things to talk about in how to develop conversations with people that actually convert to sales. So I thought it's really high time we had a catch up and uh, and and just talked about those things that have been happening to you. But just to remind everybody a little bit about Danny, tell me about where you came from, where you're going, how your career developed, and, and basically what makes Danny Matthews tick. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Um, yeah, so last, last time we spoke, I was just uh, in the process of developing a proof of concept for mortgage brokers called Morgie. Yeah, and uh, God, what happened from there? So, uh, I mean, I should probably go a little bit further back to, to give you a bit of understanding, but um, thinking about it now, I'd love to, I'm going to go back and listen to the old episode and see <laughs> if I can hear in my voice the difference, because so many people now say you've really come out of out of yourself and you seem really comfortable and and what I'm saying now will probably make sense further into this conversation but um way back when um, you know as a kid I always wanted to be a designer um a graphic designer I was always interested in characters and eventually as a kid I always wanted to move to Japan and animate for cartoons and do voiceovers for uh, for characters and that was kind of the <laughs> the childhood dream um Unfortunately, way back then, and still I think now to some extent, there was no real encouragement or support to take up a creative industry as a as a job or a career, or especially not as a business. It was always like a backup plan. Or um, I remember, but no one used to discourage me specifically. There, mm-hmm. there was never any malice in it, but I always used to remember people saying, "It's great to keep it as a as something you can develop in the future, but not something you should pursue as like a first career or a first job." And um, and I just found that a little bit unsupportive, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so like most people, I just went and got a job and ended up in private medical insurance to begin with and loved the industry, R- really got into the... I love the story part of pr- private medical insurance because it's not a necessity and it's a bit of a luxury for some people. A lot of people are really willing to open up and talk to you about their journeys and their health and, you know, their family health and, you know, these weird and wonderful things. I ended up having clients like the... Uh, pr- the princess of Iran, I think it was. <laughs> and there were some really r- quirky clients that um, came from it and really interesting stories. But slowly I developed uh, my own business and set up a brokerage and, and became a mortgage advisor shortly after. And uh, well, I almost realized instantly that this industry was going to be painful for me, not not just because of the traveling, but the paperwork and all the rest of it. So mortgage was really my it was my like baby. It was my passion project. It was the thing that, uh, as I look back throughout my career, I always found that I was trying to dip out it back into something creative. And Morgie was a perfect opportunity, really, for me to say, I've just joined this industry. I'm doing okay. You know, the business is doing well, but is there something better we can do? And developed Morgie from a uh, almost integrating a bunch of other software that was currently available to prove that it worked. Uh, and long story short, ended up redeveloping it for a client in central London um, that ended up winning a huge government contract and as part of that process I, I decided to dip out carry on my create carry on developing the creative side and uh, eventually ended up uh, setting up on my own um, in the creative sector 
And was there, as you were going through that journey with Morgie and you were, it was effectively setting up a, a software style business with mm. a financial services bent, I guess you always had that nagging voice in the back of your head saying, this is not for you, this is not for you, I want to do design, I want to do design. Mm. When was the moment you, you made that decision and thought, you know what, Morgie might be interesting, it might be innovative. And, and you, you've said you, you got a great big grant in order to develop it. But what was the moment when you decided, no, I, I've got to get out of here and focus on my passion? Mm, I think it was about halfway through the project. Yeah. About halfway through, I, I started to see things that I didn't really want, uh, I guess I didn't want to see. I started to, all the little niggles and inklings I had about the mortgage industry, all the financial services industry as a whole, started to become apparent, started to niggle at me a little bit more. I started to see things when I was going to client meetings and all kinds of stuff that eventually I thought, this is just not, now I've, it's almost like now I've tasted it. I just thought, if I'm going to taste this, I, I need to see if this is something I can now do. Mm -hmm. I was always told that I couldn't do it. And actually, when I decided that I was going to do it, it was about my around my 30th birthday. And I remember my wife coming up to me and saying, I, I was drawing at the time, sketching. I, I've always had a, a thing for sketching anyway, so I'd do it no matter what job I was doing. Uh, but I was sketching one day, and we were in a pretty bad way at the time. We had some family illnesses, and uh, we were living with friends between properties that we were trying to get in and out of because of the area we live in. Uh, and it was at that point that my wife came up to me one day and just said, do you think you could get paid for that? As in the drawing I was doing or the design that I was doing. And it was the first time I really thought, oh, maybe I could, you know, yeah. maybe this is a thing. Um, so I think that gave me a little bit of a nudge in terms of thinking, maybe I could break out of this industry and, and it wouldn't, because there was always this fear that I would give up something that I had developed for 10 years yeah. for something that I hadn't touched since I was at school. But the circumstances that were happened at that time meant that actually at that point I had nothing to lose. So it was an amazing journey, but found that as soon as I had a sniff or a taste of what I really wanted to do for all that time, I, um, I took the bait and, and ran. It's interesting, Danny, because as you know, and, and listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast know this as well, I have always been obsessed with keeping things simple. And I think the financial services industry is one of the most complicated industries on earth. You know, mortgages, bonds, protection, all of that comes with a massive amount of technical jargon, gobbledygook, yeah. and just endless words that can baffle anybody, even, even very, very clever people. Um, but there is also something quite academic about financial services as well. And I just wonder, hearing you saying this story now about, you know, you just wanted to get into that creativity, it reminded me of when I was at school way back, I was actually pretty good at technical subjects like physics and chemistry and, and maths and stuff like that. But I was really into art and, and I remember having an interview with the headmaster and, and the headmaster wasn't really interested in most individuals. So he, he didn't do his homework when you, before you went in to meet him. And I remember him saying, oh, I see you've chosen, you've chosen art as one of your um, O-level subjects. And I said, yes. And he says, oh, um, you're obviously not very um, high up academically. 
And I said, no, no, no. I, I came, uh, I get straight A's in physics, maths, English, French, and all that. Oh, well, why, why are you wasting your time doing art then? You should be doing physics. You should be doing um, maths, you, should, you know, because all the best jobs and all the best academic qualifications come from those challenging subjects. Art is for people who were, you know, not very uh, challenged academically. And I was actually really pissed off, I remember at the time. <laughs> Thinking, A, you didn't do the homework to find out that I actually was pretty good at the subjects that you obviously value, even though I want to do one of the subjects that you obviously don't value. Uh, and secondly, I'm thinking, you know, you're almost trying to stifle my passion for a very, what sounded like quite a snobbish reason. And I just wonder whether, you know, we, you, you went into financial services and you got frustrated with that, with that complexity and decided to take a chance on developing a, a career in design i sort of went through the same thing after 25 years in financial services and think this is just far too bureaucratic far too complicated mm -hmm. i want to get out and do consultancy for people who like to keep things simple so it's a similar sort of thing isn't it a shame that things like art and design almost get that second citizen billing it's what there's almost something you know substandard about it and that's just totally wrong yeah, it's a it, it's a bizarre thing actually, and uh, you reminded me as you were talking that you reminded me of that old Albert Einstein quote of creativity is intelligence having fun. Yes, and um, and that really strikes me because I I think I really enjoyed the process of building Morgie because I had uh, through running a business for all that time up until that point I had built this really. Um, you know, usually when we've run a business for, for some time, we get this uh, this ability to be problem solvers. No matter mm. what it is we're doing, we just we we find ways to solve problems. That's generally what we do. And I think what I did is uh, I had, uh, without really realizing, I had built up that knack of of discovering things that uh, problems that needed solving, and then finding ways to do it. And so as soon as I entered the mortgage industry from private medical insurance, which seems pretty swimming to, in terms of admin and paper paperwork that was that tended to be okay uh into mortgages where it was really uh customer facing and a lot of traveling and lots of paperwork and even to the point where i was probably spending about 10 to 15 hours with a client before i even got paid or even knew if i was going to get paid because if they'd failed the mortgage application i was pretty much back to square one um so i was going through that process and i think after a few times of doing it my my business or creative brain kicked in and i kind of went this is wrong. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand why someone else hasn't done anything about uh, about this yet, because mm -hmm. it seems like the way it's always been done. So that was really my creative brain and my problem solving brain thinking, what can we do to solve this? And that really started that process. What I later realized is that actually it wasn't the... Um, it, it wasn't the the business element or the creative element individually that were really helping me to do this I realized that me being creative and wanting to pro solve problems actually lends itself really well to what I'm doing now in design because yeah. not a lot of designers have that problem solving ability they have a creative ability and a skill where they can create something but so I find that a lot of designers what they'll usually do is they'll take orders from clients 
you know, if they're freelancers, they'll take orders from clients and they'll design something and send it back. And there's there's a bunch of problems along the way, but it's because they haven't really dug down to what the problem is that they're solving. If they knew mm-hmm. that, then they would get rid of that that element of it. So that really interested me, and it's and I only really realise that now that actually way back when I was doing mortgage. Uh, what I was really trying to do is use design and use creativity to solve a, a real business problem. And that's really what I've, I guess, taken from that um, into what I do now. And I guess as well, the, the bureaucracy and the complexity of financial mm-hmm. services, whilst Morgie was a great idea, you also had to experience the, the trials and tribulations of financial services oh, yes. businesses. Um, oh, yes. let, let's talk a little bit more about the creative work you do for people. And I'm intrigued by this whole problem-solving approach that you take. Can you give me an example of how a client would come to you with a brief and how you approach it in a different way to the the others that you've described who effectively just take orders? Mm. Yeah, so um, a really common thing and, and something which I went through as well to discover, it's, it's not just like I landed in design and, and picked this stuff, this stuff up straight away, but... I did adapt to it very, very easily. Mm-hmm. So there's a common thing that happens with designers uh, and branding people in general, where someone will come to them and the first question that people ask uh, through you know, ignorance or, or otherwise is how much is? And the common thing is, hi, Danny. So this is a message that I get almost every week <laughs> on Facebook or, or, or LinkedIn. Yeah. Hi, Danny, how much is a logo? Um, and some people are quite startled when my response is, what's the problem? Yeah. Because you don't really expect someone to, to ask that question when all you really wanted was a price for, for designing a logo. But when we get into the conversation and I ask, what's the problem? It starts um, a much more meaningful and a much more valuable conversation. There's What I find is most of the time, I'm talking probably 10 out of 10 times, but I'm giving some leeway. So we'll go nine, nine and a half. Most of the time when people ask for a logo, they're not actually asking for a logo. There is another problem. There is a deeper problem uh, at hand and and something that needs to be uh, a problem that needs to be solved. The problem is designers don't usually dig to that level to find out what it is. So, um, and then they complain that they can't charge more for logos because, uh, and the reason is that they're not solving big enough problems to charge more. So, um, when everyone would say, how much is a logo? I'd say, what's the problem? And they'd say, I, I don't understand what the question is. Yes. <laughs> so, well, well, tell me what problem you're having that's made you say, I need a new logo. And it would start a very a much more intellectual conversation around business problems and staffing and marketing and all these different facets of business. And, and what we end up doing is having a conversation around branding being a, a very foundation of what you do with marketing and sales and operations and all the other things in business being layers on top of that. Um, so as soon as I realized that, I thought I have to, this is me, this is my problem-solving background, my design skill, and I'm kind of combining them to make sure that instead of just designing something for the fun and aesthetics of of the job, we're designing it to solve real problems. And that's what I've really focused on uh, in this business. That's really interesting. I mean, I have similar conversations with my clients as well, because I'll often get people phone me up, email me and say, can you help us with our social media marketing or can you help us with our digital marketing? And my similar response to yours is, well, can you tell me what your strategy is? 
And normally I'll either get total silence or they'll put the phone down because they, they think they don't want to talk about strategy. They think they want to talk about digital marketing or social media marketing. And the reality is they haven't got a strategy in the first place. They haven't defined the customer problem that they're trying to solve. They haven't I, they haven't articulated their offer properly. And as a traditionally trained marketer, I can't communicate until I know what that proposition is and who the customer is and how I'm solving a customer's problem. And once you have those conversations with people, oh, then, of course, you actually realise that they probably don't just need digital marketing and they don't just need social media. That was just the same as somebody coming to you and asking for a logo. And you've actually then asked them to challenge themselves a lot deeper on what the issues are that they're wanting solved. I, I like that parallel, Danny. It, it, it's, re it's really interesting. And it's a great way to, to focus in because, you know, I always remember somebody describing logos for bad companies, for poor companies, as lipstick on a pig. Um, you know, you yeah. can't change the logo of a company that isn't working and expect it to suddenly make it successful. If you are a pig, to continue the analogy, you actually need to fix the fact that you're a pig and turn yourself into something beautiful. And a logo on its own can't do that, but a fundamental review of the issues, the customers, the problems can elevate your business into a better place and then you can develop a brand or an identity on top of that and and that that's the, the issue that you're really addressing there mm. yeah I, I have a similar conversation i find it really hard to do business with friends mm. because i have to really i have to really drill down into what the problem is and most of the time they're either very early on in their journey or they're not sure of what the problem is or they haven't quite reached that stage and I've had it recently where someone said, here's my current logo. Can, can you redesign it for me so it, it looks better? And I said the same as I say to everyone else. You know, it's no different. What's the mm. problem? Mm. So I just want it to look better. I said, you don't want it to look better because that, that's, it's so subjective what you're saying is that you, ha you have to understand that when you get the new logo, you might look at it and say, I want, now I want something better than that. But there yes. is no benchmark of, of how we make it better. So what is the problem? And we ended up saying, he said, well, I'm, I'm about to restart this company. I've been on a contract for a while and I'm about, I'm about to restart it. And I just don't think it looks very good. And it turned out that actually there was just no confidence in that what they are putting out there is being perceived by the right people to be the type of company they want to work with. Yeah. Really, you know, that all we're trying to do with with a lot of communication and design and marketing and branding is we're just trying to connect the right people. That's all it is, because then all the rest will do the work. The sales will do the work. The marketing will do the work. But if we can just make sure that whether it's visually or through strategy or through messaging or through the behaviors of the company, that we are connecting the right people. That's that's at the very core. So, yeah, there has to be a problem to solve. And it, it works whether they're whether they're friends or, or brand new into my world. <laughs> no, I, I think it's absolutely spot on and and. You can't design a, a, a visual identity for a business unless you absolutely know what that business is about. You can't design a marketing communications plan 
unless you know who the customers are and what the product is and how it solves those customers' problems. And it's it's good that we're having these conversations with more people, Danny, because at least people are starting to wake up now and realise that there is more to it than just getting a few pens and, um, and, and colouring stuff in. You know, it really is all about business development. And, and that segues us quite nicely into this other area that we we discussed this on, on uh, in an earlier call a few weeks back, this whole idea of conversations that can convert. And I think that's all about problem solving as well, isn't it, Danny? Tell me a bit about that. So most what I've realized during um, my time as a, a designer and a brand consultant and working with companies in all different ways, not just in design, but, but also in strategy and messaging and behaviors, is that most companies can't clearly say what they do. Yeah. Never, never mind actually give us a reason like that's compelling enough to, as to why we should buy something from them. So you have to have some kind of way that is outside of the norm, that is outside of what people expect for someone to have a conversation with you. Um, and usually we're told that we need an elevator pitch or a mission statement. But most of what people tell me when they tell me their mission statement or their elevator pitch just doesn't work in the real world. Because as our environment has changed with pandemics and um, and economies and all these different facets, actually us as humans have changed in the way that we talk, the way that we act, how we behave in, in the economy sense and how we buy things. So we have mm. to have a different way of starting a conversation. And for most people that um, that I work with that are service-based, for example, um, they just have no way of, of creating the environment for those conversations to happen. Mm. So I came up with this thing um, that is developed from uh, something that I was aware of a number of years back um, from Donald Miller, who wrote a book called Building a Story Brand. And there was a bit of an elevator pitch thing in there, and it got me thinking about how we use this in the real world. So it's kind of been developed from there. Um, but really, conversations that convert is my its my kind of brand that I slapped on it. Um, after using it for so long and realizing that it was so powerful, I thought it would be a really good way for me to um, put out some value to other people, other people and get them using it as well. So we've all been to those meetings, haven't we, where you have to stand up for 60 seconds or 40 seconds or whatever it is and give your elevator pitch. And most people stand up and say, hey, I'm Joe Bloggs, I'm a marketing consultant, and I help people put together marketing strategies. So what would be the conversations that convert equivalent of that elevator pitch? So um, actually, you've already heard half of mine and you didn't even notice. <laughs> and that's why it's so powerful, because it's supposed to happen in natural conversation rather yeah. than being quite forced. Yeah. Um, and what happens is, uh, I, I guess, if we think about how we get business now, it's usually from a conversation. So no matter how you get business, whether it's networking, public speaking, social media content, if you do live videos or video marketing, you only have a few seconds really to make that impact. And so we we kind of put everything on this elevator pitch. But the problem is that every time we're in a situation where the first impressions count, we don't really have a clear and compelling way for people to continue that conversation with us. So networking is a really, really good example um, of how we can use this. So what happens usually is we go in a room, we have this 60 seconds and someone says, right, we've got 60 seconds. And then they go around the room. And by the time the third person said, hi, I'm Jane, I'm from J." PM accountants, and I help people with numbers. If you need any help, you know where to send them. And then they go to someone else and they say, uh, I'm a um, 
if you've got problems with litigation, we're lawyers and we can do it affordably uh, and uh, and faster than most others. And by the time you get to like the third or fourth person, everyone's switched off. Like no one's really listening because it's the same thing over and over. And, you know, I, I don't expect, you know, it, it is boring, but I don't expect people to know, you know, what the benchmark of boring is. So really conversations that convert is a way to introduce yourself that gets more people wanting to have a conversation with you. And there's a few little elements of this that make it really work, which I'll go through in a second. But so I was saying that you've already kind of heard a little bit of, of my own elevator pitch. Whenever anyone says, what do you do? Or, or it's your turn for your 60 seconds or whatever. The one thing I don't do, which is really important is say, hi, my name's Danny Matthews and I'm a graphic designer and a brand consultant. Because what happens is immediately when I say uh, graphic designer or designer or brand consultant or anything to do with branding, people switch off because they automatically assume they know what you do. Yes. So when when they assume they know what you do, they don't need to listen anymore. So even though, even if they don't realize it, their subconscious brain literally switches off and mm. that they, they move out of active listening. Um, and they're not really taking in what you're saying. So the idea of... Um, uh, the uh, conversations that convert is that you give them a reason to number one, keep listening. Uh, and then number two, you give them a reason to do business with you. So um, when I said a moment ago, most companies can't clearly say what they do or give a compelling reason about why we should buy from them. That's basically the start. And this is what I call an impact statement. Mm. And this is something that is the the real, I guess that the secret to this impact statement is that it should be, uh, a statement that is true for your customers. So you really have to know who you're targeting. Yeah. My mo- my most companies um, introduction is my general introduction. But what happens when I'm in front of a uh, a room full of financial advisors or a room full of accountants or a room full like the the statement is true for those as well. So what all that happens is I say most financial advisors can't clearly say what they do or give a compelling reason about why we should buy from them. Most accountants can't clearly say what they do or give a compelling reason about why we should buy from them. So it's the same concept every time. But what happens there is I don't give people a reason to say, oh, I kind of get what he does. It's something that has a bit of impact. You can also use things like statistics or um, or facts. So, for example, I know uh, a few people that I've spoken to, they use the fact of uh, uh, only 60% of businesses over the next um, five years will survive or whatever the statistic is other people uh, i've told to go even even harder and and some people have come back to me and said this is more of a this is like a spielberg effect um where they say you know where the film trailer comes on and they say one man has <laughs> one goal and it's it's kind of the same thing it's storytelling that's kind of what um movie producers use so w- once you've got someone's attention with this impact statement then you can start to tell them what's valuable about what you do yeah, that's really interesting. I'm seeing the parallels here to speaking, public speaking. Mm. You know, I, I always try to go straight in. So if I, when I go up on stage, I don't go, hello, everybody. My name's Roger. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about being here today. And I'm going to talk to you about marketing, you know, because by then everybody's thought, oh, God, here we go. So I'll go straight into the, onto the stage and I'll say something like, marketing is broken because nobody understands it or it's because it's too complicated. And that gets them to sit up and it creates intrigue, and mm. normally it creates that anticipation that this is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it, the goal with this impact statement is curiosity. You don't you don't really want anyone anything else apart from people to 
sit up straight and and kind of go, oh, what's he going to say next? You yeah. know, what what does that mean? Um, uh, th- one of the examples that I use is like uh, David Attenborough. When you put our planet on telly, it doesn't start off by him saying, "Hi, I'm David Attenborough, and uh, this is my show, Our Planet." But something bad's happening. Yeah. The starting scene opens, and he says, "Our planet is dying." And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, God, <laughs> I need to sit up and listen to this. This is important. Um, and it really gives us that feeling of like, oh, God, you know, this is I'm curious now. What, why is it dying? What, what are we doing to affect it? And it, it creates this story loop in our brain where we have to fill the blanks. And that's why it really works from a, from a human behavior standpoint. And what comes after the impact statement? Yeah. So after the impact statement is basically where we start to tell people about what is unique about how we solve their problem. Mm. So we've we've essentially given them the problem that we have. You know, for, in my case, most companies can't clearly say what they do. Never mind giving me a, a compelling reason about why I should do business with them. If you want to solve that problem, then you need to have something that is unique about you that people can tap into or, or to solve their problem as well. So um, usually I, uh, this section is more about value. Mm and um and uniqueness so even if we have um two financial advisors in the room but they have maybe different markets they work with or different specialities even if they do the same thing what we're really trying to do is make it make the perception that it is a unique thing for me it is it is a genuinely unique process but i i trademarked the name of it so really no one you can't get it anywhere else mm. it's not something you can just go and buy off a shelf it's not something that you can just go and and buy without any any kind of consultation process so um when i've done my introduction for for my example i say we have a process to help you discover your unique competitive competitive advantage so if you struggle to communicate what it is that you do and, and why you are valuable. I'm now telling people that uh, there is nowhere else that you can do this. We have a unique process. And by the end of it, you'll know what makes you different to all the other people in your industry. So whereas the first part is telling them what the problem is, this is the solution. So it's really, it's characterized as the unique way that you solve a problem. Um, and that is really the trick to that is about understanding what the real problem is. We've, we've already said, you know, with the logo situation, what's the problem? But usually for the first two or three answers, that isn't really the problem. Mm. So you have to dig a little bit deeper. And I learned in um, software development that uh, in agile software development, sometimes when they're trying to come up with user experiences or user examples, they do what's called the five whys. Yeah. And you basically just put on a board what, what the problem is. And then you ask why until you get to the real problem. Really, really simple. And you can use that in this uh, second part of really understanding what the problem is. I think this is this is fascinating. We could talk all afternoon about this. Uh, we're not going to because I don't want you to give away all your secrets on this podcast, Danny. <laughs> uh, and I do want people to get in touch with you to see if you can help them personally. But I think it is very important. And things that you've said today that really resonate with me is this whole idea about focusing in on real problems. And and then there's always a story about how you can solve that problem, whether you're solving that problem for a business customer or whether you're a business solving that problem for your end customer. We're mostly in business to solve problems that people have. And I think that sometimes we forget that and we focus on what colour should it be or what font should it be in. And unless we understand that problem and why we're in business, it's very difficult to get to those aesthetic things um, if we don't know 
what we're about. Danny, very quickly, what's the one thing you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from the experience you've had leaving Morgie, setting up your own design company and now having conversations that convert? Never do anything without a purpose. The reason that I was in financial services for so long is because I was trained to chase money yeah. and not to chase what really made me happy. Uh, and went through a pretty serious breakdown because of it, um, pretty serious burnout, which eventually led to me actually doing the thing that I want to do. And I, I still find it, I still find myself in this permanent paradox of not wanting anyone to go through the same thing I did, but equally knowing that that's the thing that made me get to where I am now. Um, so yeah, just, uh, if, even if you're going to do the thing that you don't really want to do or whatever, at least have a purpose of doing it. And the best way that I think you can do that is by really having a conversation with yourself and asking yourself when I'm doing this and this transaction of value with my employer or in my business is happening, who else is benefiting outside of that? Um, and that can really lead you down a path of finding something that you are really passionate about. Fantastic. I love that. I love that. Danny, I'm hoping that people listening to the show might want to get in touch with you and find out how you can solve or help them solve their problems. So what's the best way that people should get in touch? So I would say the best way that you can get in touch or um, discover anything about your brand is just go straight to the website. It's Danny and D-A-N-N-Y-A-N-D.co. And we have a a very unique scorecard, which helps people benchmark themselves in the different areas of branding, whether it's uh, the strategy or the messaging or the identity, whatever it is, uh, the scorecard's a really good way to get insight and where you should start with uh, your branding or marketing or, or where you should go next. Fantastic. And I shall include the link to that in the show notes of the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. Danny, it's been awesome to talk to you this afternoon. Really enjoyed that. Could have gone on for a lot longer. By my reckoning, you'll be due back on the show around episode 496. So I really look forward to that. (laughs) Me too, likewise. Thanks for having me. It's been great to catch up. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. If you need help with your marketing, please get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk. I'd love to work with you. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business. (laughs) 